Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Michael Radonlik. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America, and we generally take your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. But today, it's sort of special. Uh, it's a pre-recorded program, so please don't call in. You can always go to our website, openlineradio.org, and click on the link that says Ask Michael a Question and post your question there. But today, we're talking about some other things. In fact, last hour, to celebrate my spiritual birthday of coming to know Jesus, April 16, 1972, uh, I had my friend, Chris Fabry, as sort of a guest questioner talking with me through that story. And uh, so that's what we did last hour. This hour, I have a second guest with us. Uh, Chris is with me still, and also Eva Rydelnik will be joining us. She is my favorite guest to have. No offense, Chris. Uh, but Eva's <laughs> going to be here. We're gonna, we'll be talking about Passover, the three of us, and looking forward to that. Now, before we get to Passover, Chris, you said uh, you have some follow-up questions. And so people, if you're listening and you're like, what's he talking about? I missed the first hour. You can go back and listen online or you can get the podcast or get the Moody Radio app and listen to the first hour, uh, which is, I was trying to explain the, the faith story of how it is that this Jewish kid from Brooklyn whose parents were Holocaust survivors came to believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and be became his followers. So that's what it was about. And now you've got some follow-ups, Chris? I do, because I I think when I hear anybody talk about how they came to faith, you you listen to that through your the prism of your own life, whether you're a Christian and you've you've had that step as well, or you're not, and you're thinking, you know, what do they have that I don't have? Um, but I was thinking of the parallels between us, because you were born in the year that my wife, Andrea, was born, so I'm four years younger than you are. Mm -hmm. But I became a Christian about probably about the same time that you did. I was in West Virginia. You were in New York. But <sighs> for me, becoming a Christian was something that in my family was hoped for. It was almost expected. And there are many people who grow up in America and who believe they are Christians because they're born in, you know, in America, in a Christian country, quote unquote, because it's an acceptable religious experience. So when I came to faith, it was... The hurdle was my own pride. You know, it was a journey toward humility that said, I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. God, you have to do this for me. I didn't have anybody saying, no, don't do that. You'll betray your heritage. You'll betray your father's faith. Um, so I just wanted you to, to respond to that because that was a real hurdle for you. Yeah, it was, it was a really scary decision to make. And the thing is, once I w w was convinced, I really was convinced. And there was a whole lot of opposition afterwards to just recant right away. Uh, my dad uh, told me he would disown me if I didn't recant. And uh, all my Orthodox relatives, mostly they lived, my dad's sister, her kids, the, that section of the family, they said they would never talk to me again. Uh, if I didn't recant this. And so it was like, do, do I recant this? And I, I just, I couldn't really bring myself to do it. I was so convinced Jesus was the Messiah. My dad actually brought me, he brought two Orthodox rabbis who specialized in what they called deprogramming Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus, hmm. like we had been brainwashed. 
and they came to my house. My dad came. He, my parents had already divorced, and so he came over. And we sat there, and they tried to convince me that I was wrong. And I, I was such a brand-new follower of Jesus. It must have been, I don't know, uh, a month after I had made a decision, maybe even three weeks. And I just, I didn't, I was terrified because I didn't know what I would say. And all I did was keep pulling out those verses that Miss Kozer had shown me. And, uh, you know, we would talk them through and argue them through. And I thought, uh, now as I look back, having been a follower of Jesus 50 years, I don't think many people have that experience as a new believer sitting with rabbis and a Hebrew Bible in Hebrew. Yes. Yes. Sitting there working through the verses uh, and talking about them. And they were really gracious and kind. They were not at all hostile. I have to mm. say that they were really, really lovely men and uh, very, very gracious. And the funniest part was they kept asking me, well, what do you need this for? We have the Torah. You don't need this. You know, it's, it's just something that you don't need. You don't need a New Testament. We've got the True Testament. Mm. And I showed them Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, uh, where God promises to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I gave them when they left Egypt, but uh, a covenant uh, which he would put the laws in our hearts. He'd embed them in us. Uh, and I said, that's what it says about the Torah, that we broke it, so we needed something special, something different, and it's the Messiah who gives us the new covenant. And these uh, these two rabbis were looking at that verse, and one of them finally said, and he was the real scholar of the two, he says, I've never seen that verse. Just like that. <laughs> really? And you know what that reminds dad. me of is is Jesus when he's twelve, you know, and they're and, <laughs> and you know, and because you're about fourteen years old. I mean, yeah, what do you yeah, know? it's just about fifteen. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I was, and I was, I was terrified. If if I could describe to you how ice cold my hands were and how I was dripping with sweat, I was yeah. just so nervous. And uh, I just showed him what I, you know, I, I as I look back now, I didn't know it then, but I was trying to do what the man born blind did. You know, this is what I experience. This is what I know. I'll tell you what I know. And uh, I showed him that verse. And when they said he'd never, when he said he'd never seen that verse before, my dad said, he stood up, pounded the table and said, Mishaguam, which means crazy people. He couldn't believe it. he brought the experts in and they had never seen the verse. And he stormed off, and that was really uh, the. It was after that that my dad uh, really did cut me off forever. Mm. So, so he kept uh, his was, word then. He didn't oh yeah. Talk. Did, yeah. did you ever have any more conversation with him ever? Yeah, I. Uh, he moved to Israel to be near his sister, and uh, left. He spent his retirement there, and I went to see him in uh, three different times. Uh, once in the 70s, late 70s, uh, once in the 80s, and uh, then when I was in Israel. And then I went as a special visit in the early 90s, just before he died, to see him. And each time, it got cut off. You know, he the, the first two times, seven, in 78 and 81, uh, he told me, don't come back. And uh, then when I went in the 90s, he had remarried, and his wife found out who I was when I'd come in the door. And she just pushed me out the door and closed it and locked it and said, don't talk. So wow. I tried 
over time to try and reconnect with him. But uh, no, he never really would would talk with me. So when Jewish people protest and say you can't be a Christian and be Jewish, you know, you have to under you have to choose. You understand their perspective because that's what you lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's for me. I, I like to say, you know, people say, oh, when you converted or something like that. And I say, I didn't convert. Uh, you know, conversion is from sin. Uh, but I didn't convert from being Jewish. I'm, <laughs> I'm still Jewish. It's no sin to be a Jew, so I didn't have to convert from that. But I, I feel like, in a sense, I have everything that God intended Jewish people to have, not just the covenant with Abraham, but the new covenant, and the not just uh, the promises, but the fulfillment uh, Jesus, and so Yeshua, as I call him. Uh, so yeah, to me, it makes the most sense. I feel like we're the, the most, the truest Jews in a sense. Uh, I, I loved it when my kids were little and they came home from school and one of my sons said, you know, so-and-so says he's Jewish, but he's not. And I said, well, why not? And they said, because he doesn't believe in Yeshua. <laughs> and and I thought, yeah, to him, the most Jewish thing in the world to do is to believe in the Jewish Messiah. And right. so for me, it's not a conflict. But you know, it it was tough, you know, to sometimes I think about, uh, I, I don't know if it was the, the rebelliousness of being a teenager. I hope it wasn't. I think it was just this really firm conviction that this is true, and I, I don't care what it means. I have to stick to it. So I love this. Uh, we are able to talk about this, Michael, on the 50th anniversary on the day, but also sandwiched in between Good Friday, the pain that Jesus experienced, and then the resurrection that we are going to celebrate tomorrow, and that Eva's going to be here. This yep. is going to be a great hour. Uh, the program you're listening to is called Open Line. Usually we take your questions, but not today. It's a special uh, 50th birthday, spiritual birthday for me. We're talking about that, and now we're going to talk about Resurrection Weekend. Good Friday, yesterday, and Resurrection tomorrow. And we'll talk about Passover as well. So stay with us. This is Open Line on Moody Radio. Some of the most confusing passages of Scripture contain the most important truths. If you'd like clarity on some of the biggest biblical mysteries, be sure to request my book called 50 Most Important Bible Questions. Request your copy today when you give a gift of any amount by calling 888-644-7122 or go online to openlineradio.org. People are always asking about the Jewish people and Jesus. That's why Chosen People Ministries is offering a free booklet called Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. It explains God's promises to the Jewish people and what they mean today. You'll see how God has preserved his people throughout history and returned them to their land. It reveals how we can all be part of God's plan to reach the Jewish people today. For a free copy of Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down, and you'll see a link that says, A Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. 
Hello, today's Open Line is a rebroadcast. Passover this year falls on April 5th through the 13th. Even with different dates, I think you'll learn a lot from the conversation as we're here on the day between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. In fact, it's in the middle of the eight days of Passover. Enjoy the conversation on Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm so glad to be with you today. As always, I have two special guests today. Chris Favory is on to talk with us about Passover and also uh, Resurrection Weekend, what we're talking about next. And uh, also, Eva Rydelnik is going to be with me. She's the one I talk about Passover with all the time and the Resurrection, (laughs) so she's here. And uh, Chris, you're with us now. I'm glad you're with us. And Eva, now this is your first time. Yeah. Uh, not on the radio, but since uh, we since started today. Started, started the tape, yeah. Yes. Chris, I wish you could be with us for our Passover Seder. You and your family, always so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, I always love to have Eva on. Eva knows more than <laughs> both of us combined, Michael. You know I that, agree. Right? I agree, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the number one comment I get from people who say, I love it. Uh, I love Open Line, but I really love it when Eva's on. People Bingo. say that to me. Bingo. All People the time. are so kind. Uh, she's on just about every week too because she's texting me the answers. So <laughs> even when you don't hear her voice. So. Silent good. partner. Silent yeah, partner. It's, it's great yeah. to have somebody who knows more than you. Uh, so yeah. here's my first question about um, the, the Passover. This is not this is not a holiday that has one date on the calendar. This moves around at least for us. Right? Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? Why is it, you know, uh, one year it's it's here and the next year it's there? How does right. it confuse it's, the Gentiles? It's, That's uh, what it is. The, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. So, okay. um, and we see that on the in the church calendar that you know Christmas is always on the twenty fifth of December, but Easter changes because it's related to other celestial decisions. Uh, and um, that's how Passover is. All the Jewish holidays are like that. They're the it's always on the same day in the Jewish calendar, but it doesn't fall on the same day on the regular calendar. So got it. Yeah. Okay. And you know, Easter changes dates too. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's uh, the, the what fir- is it? The, the first Sunday after the first vernal equinox or yeah. whatever, or spring equinox yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know how that happened, uh, Chris? That Easter got separated from Passover. It was always celebrated together until the 4th century. Hmm. And then the Council of Nicaea, which we know is a very important council, but Constantine was there. And at that council, according to the documents of the church councils, it says that uh, Constantine the Great wanted to separate the church from the odious company of the Jews. Hmm. And so he changed. What what a nice guy. So anyway, he, he changed the date of observance uh, to a, uh, a a solar date related to the spring equinox, and took it away. Previous to that, it was always celebrated as part of Passover uh, for the first couple centuries. And also, when you think about it, what is Easter called in Italian and some of the older Romance languages? Pasqua, mm. Passover. So that's what Easter's name is. So take us to what happened last night. Now we're recording this ahead of time, so it didn't really happen last night. But look look ahead. What was Friday like? And was it any different for you, Michael, what happened last night at your house than it would have been growing up with your dad? 
Huh. Yeah, you know, uh, it was, first of all, what happened the, uh, the day before is the final preparations for Passover, which means there's a lot of cooking going on. The cleaning is done mostly earlier in the week, so your house is all cleaned and ready for Passover. And that doesn't just mean dust the furniture, but clear out any leaven that you have in your house. That's traditional part of the cleaning process as you get rid of all the leaven that you keep in your cupboards, like Cheerios and Wonder Bread and stuff like that. Yeah. So only matzah, unleavened bread, is eaten for from Passover through the eight days of unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we would... Uh, now, one of my favorite things about Passover was the day before, uh, the evening before the start. It starts in the evening because it's a Jewish calendar. Evening and morning, it's the first day. So we our days start in the evening. Uh, and so... We would collect, my dad would, my mom would take a a good piece of rye bread and break it up into 10 pieces, hide it around the house. And then when my dad came home, one of us would get a candle, another would have a wooden spoon with with a feather, and we would go search for the leaven, and we would find all the 10 pieces of bread and drop it in a a napkin. And then in the morning, we would burn it. We'd search out the leaven and say, now our house is clean for Passover, and now we can celebrate the feast. And that night, Passover begins. And we always do that, and I did it as a kid, and I love it. We did it it with our kids. It was so much fun. When your kids are little, it's so much fun. In 1 Corinthians 5, what does Paul say when he's trying to deal with the, the boasting about sin in the Corinthian church? He tells them, uses leaven as a symbol for sin. He tells them to search out the old leaven so they can celebrate the feast. Uh, it's that same ceremony that he is alluding to there about hmm. getting did it you, out. Did you do it with rye bread, Eva, or did you do Cheerios? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we do it with bread, like rye bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay. That's what we do it. And nice now that you have grandkids, rye. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, it's just a really fun kid kid thing to yeah, do. Yeah, all the lights out, the <laughs> the candles, exciting. You know, it's so exciting. Yes, and you do ten pieces to be sure you pick them all up. Otherwise. Next you know, year when you're cleaning for yeah. Passover. Next or you know, Fourth of July, Oops. you're you know, dusting the windowsill and oh look, here's a petrified piece of bread from yeah. Passover. Yeah. So. You gotta get count ten. And that's what we did. And but what was different, your question is what we have done since then is we celebrate Passover. In fact, I got invited to speak uh on this Friday uh, last night, what would would have been last night. Uh and I said, no, I can't. And they said, but, but there are thousands of people. And I said, yes, but it's Passover. And it's I the first to, night. First night. I got to be with my family. Uh, and so I, here's what's important. We celebrate redemption from Egypt in Passover, just like I did with my dad. It says in the Haggadah, the, the book, that every person should consider himself as having been redeemed for Egypt. For if God had not redeemed us, we would still be enslaved in Egypt. And so uh, we have to celebrate that redemption. But what's so great is that it foreshadows the redemption we have in Jesus the Messiah, in Yeshua. Mm -hmm. And so we have sort of a double celebration of redemption. I've written my own Haggadah that includes the, the words that point us not just to celebrating God taking us out of Egypt, God redeeming us from sin through the Passover lamb, Yeshua. And so that that's a focal point of our celebration of Passover. 
The other and thing that that I, mean, I can't I can't move past this is you mentioned in the last hour the, the concentration camps and the history of your own family, Michael. And I, the the depictions that I've seen this uh, in film is when Passover comes and they are incarcerated. You know, they're in the concentration camps. What a what a momentous thing this is to try to celebrate that even in the middle of that. And it brings it all, it brings it alive to me now, you know, in, in seeing how Hollywood has tried to depict this, what a, uh, a lament this must've been for those who couldn't practice their faith, you know, Mm -hmm. and had to, had to do it in hiding. They did it as secretly as they could, but that's it. Mm -hmm. That as secretly as they could, but we but there are accounts of it in concentration camp of Jewish people continuing to try to try to celebrate and keep the Passover in some even way. on the edge of death yeah. as yeah. well as they could. And it, it became uh, if God redeemed us from Egypt, He can redeem us from this. And now there are certainly many Jewish people who have become cynical about faith since the Holocaust. But I do think it's interesting when I went to the World Gathering of Holocaust Survivors in 1981. On the last night, at the Western Wall, Prime Minister Menachem Begin spoke to the survivors. I was there. Even I were there for second-generation representation. But uh, he spoke, and he said, I know many of you don't believe, but God did redeem us. And he, he talked about how close the Nazis came to having won the war, how close they came to potentially having an atomic bomb. And had they succeeded, then all the Jewish people, not just in Europe, but all the world would have been destroyed. And he said, so I know you don't want to believe, but I'm telling you, God intervened. He redeemed us. He saved us in time, just in time. And then he gave this passionate cry for people to believe, to believe in God. Uh, It was, he was a remarkable speaker, but uh, it really moved my heart to see him pleading with people to still believe in the God of Israel. And it, it sort of became a reminder for me that, yes, the God of Israel had not abandoned his people. He suffered with them. And he's. we look forward to the day when Messiah will return. That's what the fourth cup and the Passover meal is about. Uh, the, the, we go to the door, we open it for Elijah, and... If he's not there, then we end the Passover and say, well, maybe next year. Uh, But we're looking for the Messiah, and boy, he will come back, and he will redeem his people, and that is the great reminder at Passover as well. I think one of the most interesting things to remember about Passover is how it is described in the the Bible and how it's not just described in one place in Exodus when it happens, but over and over again. It is reiterated, and the way it is described, it is called the Lord's Passover, the Lord's Passover. Mm -hmm. So when we're keeping the Passover, we're doing something that is more significant than putting up your Christmas tree or, you know, having burgers on Fourth of July. Mm -hmm. We are celebrating the Lord's Passover and remembering his redemption from Egypt and, as Michael was just saying, the Messiah, our Passover, and our redemption from from sin by his death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And his return— Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to be too controversial here, but th- this whole history thing, you cannot separate 
Christianity from the history, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, the Old Testament, God was, you know, angry back there. We're, we got the New Testament. No, you cannot uh, divorce those two. It all goes together, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one book. You know, I think that's unfortunate that people try and make that big distinction. Uh, I just don't know how anyone understands John 1 when they read that John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus coming to be immersed in water. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How can you understand that without your Hebrew Bible and connecting it with the redemption from Egypt? And in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, when uh, Peter says this, uh, that for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Messiah, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. How do we understand that without knowing our Hebrew Bibles and what it says about the Passover lamb? And and I think the division between the Old and New Testament is, is pretty well... Um, eradicated when you look at the first book of the New Testament and the first verse. It is the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So if we didn't have the Old Testament, how do we understand the Passover? How do we understand the family of Jesus and his <laughs> whole coming? Yeah, it's all it all goes together. Well, we're going to be back with more discussion about Passover and resurrection. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. That's Chris Fabry, that familiar voice. And Eva Rydelnik, we're going to be right back, so don't go away. Michael Rydelnik, and normally it would be time for the mailbag, but we're not going to do a mailbag today. It's a pre-recorded program, and we're talking about uh, Passover and Resurrection Day together with Eva Rydelnik. That's I'm here, Michael Rydelnik. Eva Rydelnik is here, and so is Chris Fabry. He's kind of facilitating our discussion, and uh, we are talking about Passover, Chris, and you have questions, I think. Well, I just want you to, for those who uh, don't know, you know, they've heard about Passover and they know that Egypt is part of it and, you know, this is a cataclysmic thing that happened there. This is a story that you tell and you retell and you retell again because of the import. So just, why don't you both just tell us this story? Well, I want to, I think it's so funny because Eva gets this question all the time. Why, how do you celebrate this every year? Yeah, people ask it like, "Isn't that boring? Aren't you tired of this?" And my answer is, "Well, how about you and Christmas? Aren't you tired of that? All the <laughs> nativity and those carols, the same old songs and the same old story. Aren't you tired of that?" And they look at me like, "Well, no, of course not." Yeah. And I just hold up the mirror and say, "Exactly, of exactly. course not." Yeah. It is so wonderful to go over the story every year and to review the review the truth every year. It is wonderful and exciting and doing it with your family and doing it with people that have never done it before, just the best part of the year. Yeah. And so Passover is the uh, the story of Israel's redemption from Egypt. Uh, we were slaves in Egypt. 
and we cried out to God, and he sent a deliverer, Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him, let my people go. The Lord tells him, the Lord, the Lord says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says no, and so what God does is he sends plagues upon the Egyptians, and with each plague, Pharaoh gets broken down a little bit more, and then finally, uh, there's the 10th plague, and he still resists. God sends the 10th plague, which is the worst. It was just as Pharaoh tried to kill the firstborn and all the boys, actually, of Israel. So God says he will take the firstborn male child of the Egyptians. And so that would be the 10th plague. And by the way, it would, it would befall everyone. Israel had to believe God, and the mark of their faith would be to take an animal, uh, a, a goat, or a lamb usually, perfect and spotless, the best of, of the whole flock, and to uh, offer it as a sacrifice and put the blood on the doorposts of the house. And God promised that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Judgment won't come to your house. I will pass over. And that's where we get the name of Passover. And that's what exactly what God did. And people always say, well, what was, what was God looking for? Why this lamb? And I think it's a great lesson, lesson that uh, obviously it's through the blood of a lamb that God passes over judgment, but Israel had to act in faith. They had to believe God in order to be redeemed. And there were some Egyptians, too, who did that because they believed God, and they were redeemed as well. They're the mixed multitude that went out. And then finally Pharaoh relented, and the, the mixed multitude came along with Israel, and they left, and that's how God delivered Israel. And of course, to just have a little added excitement, almost like a movie, you know? You think it's all over, but no! Now Pharaoh comes after Israel with his with his army, and Israel's at the Red Sea. What's going to happen? I love it. Moses starts talking about, behold, see the redemption of the Lord. God's going to save us now, and he's talking. And God says, Moses, stop talking. Start walking. And, <laughs> and the, the Red Sea parts, and God delivers Israel once again. So it's multiple deliverances. And that, of course, continues through all the wilderness wanderings, that God is always there delivering his people. So that's the story of the Passover. Back up though, because uh, there was a there was someone who was sent down to Egypt in basically in slavery. Uh, Joseph, who was betrayed mm-hmm. by his brothers, a real picture of of Jesus' life, and he rises after a, a lot happens to him. He rises up, and he is able to be the salvation of Egypt. Not only you know to have all of the grain and everything that they stored, but also his own family gets saved because of Joseph's position there and the decisions and God's favor on his life. And then it says, and I just think this is so interesting, that there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. They forgot him. And then you fast forward and you look at the Israel, how much they they blessed God, uh, thanked God, and then forgot God and went their yeah. own way. <laughs> this is just a picture of all of us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people think, well, what? I actually had a a colleague of mine once said, well, Jewish people are just so stiff-necked and walking their own way. And I said, yeah, is it because they're Jewish or because they're human? And he kind of looked at me kind of funny. And I said, uh, yeah, what if God had chosen some other people? You think they'd have done better? 
And he's like, well, I guess not. And so uh, you're right. It's a model of how we all behave. I, I love the verse, though, uh, in, in Genesis when Joseph tries to comfort his brothers for what they had done to him. And he said, God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land to keep you alive by great, by great deliverance. Hmm. Uh, Genesis 45.7. And then, of course, after Jacob dies, they think that Joseph is going to change his tune and now J- that Joseph's going to get them. But Joseph says no. Uh, he says uh, in Genesis 15.19, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Mm. So God used Joseph and brought them to Egypt so that they could survive. They could survive the uh, plague, uh, not the plagues, the uh, the famine. They could survive all this time. And then when a Pharaoh arises that doesn't know Joseph, uh, God has to once again act to preserve his people, to protect them. Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't understand, though. Even you could talk about this: the the providence of God and the the using of the good and the bad from our perspective, the good and the bad. You know, how could slavery ever be a good thing? And we're not saying that it's a good thing, but this was part of the plan that God had all along, even though we can't understand it as we're going through it. Yeah, I, I think that, and I think that verse that Michael was talking about earlier in forty-five, in Genesis forty-five, where it says, "For God sent me before you, God sent me before you, but God has made a way for me." This again and again in that little section, and I and I think we can apply that to anything that's happening in our lives that we may think is terrible, that you know, but God is ultimately in control, and yeah. the and the Exodus is a wonderful uh, cautionary truth about our attitude. Mm-hmm. I think it's so funny about Joseph because, you know, every time something turns against Joseph, whether his brothers sell him into slavery or Potiphar's wife makes a false accusation, and it, it just like it goes, okay, this is bad. Oh, now it's worse. Oh, this is bad. Oh, now, now it's, worse. it's worse. And each time the text says, and the Lord was with Joseph. With him, Like, yes. how is this that the Lord is with you when all this happens? But he, un- he was God-focused that even being a slave, being a slave in prison— each time he understood that God's got a plan here. He's going to make it happen, even though I don't know it. I don't know what it is. He's going to make it happen. That's a great reminder for us. Yeah, and moving forward, you know, the, those 400 years to where we're celebrating the, the Passover of redemption every year, it's a, it's another reminder of that kind of, of amazing mm-hmm. kindness and truth and oversight of God. And I think a lot of times we want to, you know, I can believe that God is for me. I can believe that God is working all things together. Uh, if you can show me the deliverance, you know, but but you're got, you've got 400 years there. You've got, uh, you know, generations that come and go. You, yeah. We're not always given the answer to, you know, this is what I'm doing here in your life, Radelnix. You, you yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we just don't know. Mm-hmm. No, it's that that is remarkable, isn't it? Uh, so I was I was reading uh, Psalm thirty eight thirty seven this morning, and I was had a whole verse I'd never seen before. It says that um, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps and delivers them. I thought, wow, yeah, that's that's the Passover story. That's our story every day in our lives. Whenever we're you know having hard times. 
that he is our strength in time of trouble and he will deliver us. Yeah. So it, uh, it's, it's the Passover and it's every day. It's every day and it's uh, Passover and it's going to be in the future. Once again, there'll be a great deliverance when the Lord returns. So, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm wondering, uh, are we ready for a break here? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. take a break. Because yeah, I, want, I want you to come back and tell us about what's going on in the hearts of those who follow Jesus in the middle of Friday and Sunday. I want to talk about that when we come back. Okay, great. You're listening to Open Eye with Michael Radelnik and Chris Fabry and Eva Radelnik. We're, we're grateful you're listening, and we're going to be right back with really important stuff to talk about, uh, about those days between Friday and Sunday. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Why does God allow bad things to happen? Is it possible to lose my salvation? Which Bible translation is best? If you've ever wondered about these questions, you'll want to check out my book called 50 Most Important Bible Questions. Request a copy today when you give a gift to OpenLine. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Welcome back to Open Line. I am so grateful that I have a couple of partners in ministry. Of course, my wife Eva is here today, Eva Radelnik, and also Chris Favory, who... Chris, how long have we been partnering in radio? I, I think I've been uh, on uh, Chris Favory Live. At least see. more than a dozen years. Yeah, Michael. because it was a few years before the Moody Commentary came out, before right. Open Line. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. I, I so appreciate you having me on, giving me practice so I could do open line on the uh, two Michaels. You know, that was fun. So uh, anyway, I just appreciate your friendship so much and your partnership in ministry. And that's what I want to talk about just for a moment right now. There are people who are kitchen table partners. They are people I appreciate immensely because what they have done is they have partnered with open line to keep us on the air. They they give a gift every month. They commit to do that so that I can be on every week answering people's Bible questions. And if you are a listener to Open Line, if you're a kitchen table regular, in a sense, sitting around the radio kitchen table talking about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life, and you're growing and you feel that this is helpful in your walk with the Lord, helping you take that next step, drawing closer to Him, if you find it that way and you think, yeah, I'd like to help keep this on the air, would you consider becoming a kitchen table partner? It's It would be so greatly appreciated, and we really, really thank you for even considering it and would really appreciate it if you'd become a kitchen table partner. If you'd like to do that, all you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or sign up online at openlineradio.org, and we will really appreciate it if you consider doing that. And uh, so we're talking about Passover and Resurrection Weekend, and so uh, it's it's this weekend. So what do you you wanted to talk about something about how they felt? Yeah, in the middle of and and Eva mentioned Psalm thirty eight. I was reading Psalm forty six this morning, and everybody knows Psalm forty six ten. But I was looking at God is our refuge and strength, the helper who is always found in times of trouble. And then verse 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And that's how the the psalm ends. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. 
And I'm thinking about the disciples on Saturday. You know, they've just seen the crucifixion. They've just seen the one who was Messiah put in a tomb, dead and buried, and the stone rolled in front of it. And they're worried. They're 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 struggling with everything. You know, I thought he was going to be, I thought he was going to be the Messiah. You know, I thought mm-hmm. he's going to be the conqueror. So they're in the middle of that, a, a big time of trouble. And it feels like God is not there anymore. At least that's how I see it. What? How do you see Saturday? Well, I think that the most interesting way to understand how they felt, and maybe it was uniquely uh, Mary in John 20. I don't know. She she seemed to be especially tender-hearted. But uh, you see her in John 20. She comes and she wants to anoint the body. She came, it was still early, and she sees the stone rolled away. Uh, and she, you know, Peter and John come as well, and they just run away when they see the stone rolled away. They don't know what's going on. But Mary stood outside facing the tomb, verse 11 says, crying. As she was crying, she stooped in to look into the tomb. And then the... Uh, they say the angels speak to her. She sees angels, and she's that. It's so interesting because usually, uh, angels' first words, "Fear not," but not Fear with not, her. Right, they say, yeah. "Woman, why are you crying?" She is so upset. Not only that the Lord Jesus has died, she's so brokenhearted. But now she says, "Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him." And she is heartbroken. And I think she epitomizes that feeling. It's not just, oh, we thought he was going to be the Messiah, but this person that they loved so yes. much, and he's gone. And and I think that when we when we and just a, a excruciatingly terrible death, you can't imagine how distraught those disciples. They weren't sitting around going with their watches. Yeah. Well, we got about forty eight hours more, and things should be cleared up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, now Eva just taught Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe in her class and isn't that what you talked about about Aslan that that kind of gives us a picture of how how Well I think the I think the 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 way that Lewis wrote about the death of Aslan there on that stone table and the way the children felt when they saw him when they were shaving him and and they're just weeping. I said to my class, I said, I cannot read this section of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe without crying. And I have read it countless times. And I think one of the values of literature, and particularly this, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is it gives us a sense anew of the emotional sorrow of the death of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And, um, and he, you know, of course... Lewis does it in such a creative way with Aslan being killed on the stone table. And then fast forward how the children felt when he came back to life. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful story. Sometimes we read the New Testament and we go, yeah, yeah, and then this happened and okay, yeah, okay, done. Let's go eat. Mm-hmm. And um I and I think, you know, we miss it. We miss the emotional situation that you're asking about, how people really felt, what it was like, and how it should strike us when we realize what Jesus did for us. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
And and the import of that is that we are in some ways waiting for that resolution in our own lives right now with you know friends and family who don't yet embrace the savior who haven't gone there and we desperately want that for them. I'm kind of superimposing that, but it was the same mm-hmm. thing. You know, here, here you got Pharaoh and the army uh, chasing after you toward the sea, your back's against the wall. They didn't know what was going to happen, but God was right. there. The Lord of hosts was with them. And, and the same happened there on that Saturday between Friday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that famous, uh, I don't know, famous sermon, it's Friday, but Sundays but are Sunday's coming. coming. Right. That's Sometimes we forget that Sundays are coming, and we have to keep reminding ourselves. And, you know, the disciples were shocked at the resurrection of Jesus, and I don't know why. You know, (laughs) maybe because they just had a hard time believing in the resurrection, but, you know, how many times does he say three times in the Gospel by Mark, which is the shortest, he says uh, the third time is in Mark 10, 33 and 34. Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And that's not what all he says. And he will rise after three days. They should have known the resurrection was coming, but they, they didn't seem to be all that aware of it. This is, I think that's the most important aspect right now that we forget sometimes to talk about that right we forget you i mean you hear on the you hear on the radio even uh, on our very own stations here about the, what is the gospel the gospel is that jesus died for you and of course you got the billboards on the stru- uh, you know on the highways jesus died for you this is so true but it's not the gospel because if he didn't rise from the dead he would not be the savior it's the resurrection that that showed that he was God and that his sacrifice was acceptable. So just to say that Jesus died for you seems to make people think that they were ever only in time, those three people who were crucified that you have the pictures on the Easter cards, the the little hill with the three crosses, when in fact about 20,000 Jewish men were crucified by the Romans in the New Testament era, and only one rose from the dead. And it was only by his resurrection that we have redemption. So... It, we can never, never forget yeah. the resurrection. That's yeah. the most important part of the story. Remember Jesus the Messiah, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, as it says in Second Timothy uh, yep. chapter 2, verse 8. Yep. Well, Chris, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Eva, what thank you pleasure. for being here. So much fun. Yeah. And uh, thanks, Tricia McMillan, Courtney Young, for their help with this program. Remember, keep in touch with Open Line during the week by going to our webpage, openlineradio.org. Uh, page has all the links you need, including how to become a kitchen table partner, how to get our current resource. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. And remember, have a wonderful Resurrection Day. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.